Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Hi, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. Today, we're talking about paying off your mortgage and the good old 15 versus 30 year mortgage debate. So today we're gonna uncover some myths and truths about paying off your mortgage and really help you determine the best method for paying off your mortgage with the maximum cash flow and control. Now we're your host, Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner. Good morning, welcome Bruce. Good morning, Rachel. Um, this is debated a lot. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, um, I think the older you are, the more it's debated, and there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, mortgages used to be five-year renewable um, notes, and they were callable. That was during the Great Depression. And when the Great Depression hit, a lot of people uh, that had homes, their notes were call- they, they were called. And a lot of people lost their homes at that time. Well, that put, I actually didn't know that history. That's fascinating. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so what happened was, is a lot of people then was ingrained in them that I'm never going to let this happen to me again. And so they were going to pay that five-year callable note off. Well, that was true for the callable notes. But since then, we have now ch- turned to a, a, a mortgage industry that's not callable. Mm-hmm. So they can't. As long as you're making your payments, they can't just come to you and say, "We we need our 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 note paid right now." But unfortunately, that uh, Great uh, Depression era mindset just kept getting past the last couple of generations. So, when what we're going to talk about today is some math, and then we're going to talk about there's going to be emotion in this, and you and I both agree that. Uh, it's okay if you agree with the math, but you emotionally still can't do it. And I, right. tell, I, tell my, I tell my clients that all the time. But we believe that we should, we should just share with you some what we believe are facts. And then you can make the decision on whether you want to do a 15 or 30 or a 30 and pay extra or 15 and pay extra or so on and so forth. Absolutely. And I really like just even that history and background coming in that I was not aware of. So that's really helpful, I think, to lay the landscape for the conversation today. So um, just kind of coming into this discussion, yes, there is a lot of debate. And I think it comes from many different places. But we generally have this unspoken rule that if you're a smart person, you pay off your mortgage early. Yes. And, And really, that comes from a lot of different places. I mean, there's industry professionals, there's people who are so-called financial experts, there's friends, there's family, there's what's been done in the past. And there's also so many myths and misinformation that's really built into this mindset. And when we have myths that are clogging up our rationality, it really helps us or prevents us and hurts us preventing us from making wise choices. And so today we're going to answer what information do I use to decide what's the best way to pay off my mortgage? Should I get a 15 or a 30 and why? 
So really the why is more important than what you should do and really understanding why you're making certain decisions and how it serves you and how it affects your financial picture today and in the future. So today we're going to uncover the three biggest myths about paying your mortgage. We're going to talk about why the focus on paying the lowest interest rate, the least dollars of interest, or having the shortest time frame, any one of those three things, will actually handicap your cash flow and control, making it harder to achieve financial freedom. So today's conversation is going to help you unpack those facts so you can know with confidence and clarity what's best for you and make rational decisions without having to second guess yourself. So where does this fit in the bigger picture of the cash flow system? Well, it's just one part. It's part of the foundation to help you keep and be more efficient with the money that you make. So as you keep more of the money you make, then you're able to protect more. Then you have more to be able to put to work so that you can increase your cash flow. So let's go ahead and dive into this conversation. Bruce, I would say the number one first and biggest myth, which we've actually already talked about Mm -hmm. on the show and we'll point back to the episode on this as well, is that having a mortgage means you're in debt. And I think that feeling of, I don't like debt, I don't want to be in debt, I want to get out of debt as quickly as possible, kind of drives that desire to pay off the mortgage quickly. So let's just refresh real quickly. Bruce, what is debt? Well, it's simply um, whether your liabilities are above your assets. And so you're in a negative uh, position on a balance sheet. Um, the, The way I kind of explain this most often to clients is, if you run up $10,000 on a credit card because you went out to eat, um, you bought things at the grocery store, you bought things at um, the pharmacy, you bought some clothes, and you have $10,000 on your credit card, and then you went to sell the things that you purchased with that $10,000, you know that you can't sell the food you already ate. You may, right. <clears throat> you may be able to sell some of the stuff you bought at the pharmacy, but you know it's going to be on pennies on the dollar. And that mm-hmm. and that $50 blouse you bought at Macy's, you might be able to sell it online for $10. So then on a balance right. sheet, you'd have $10,000 on one side and maybe $500 on the other side. So you are in debt by... $9,500. Now, that's also the reason it's unsecured mm-hmm. for the most part. So that's also why credit card companies will charge you anywhere between 9.99% and 29.99% because they know that people are going to default on these and they have nothing to secure that debt. Contrast that to a home where uh, you put something down based on the appraised value and then you make a principal and interest payment every month so that your asset is above your liability. Now, because that asset is above the liability in most cases, a bank is, says this is a secured debt and we will, we will ju- then charge you considerably less in the four to five percent range as we're making this podcast. 
So mm-hmm. those are the difference. One is that your liabilities are above your assets, but your home, your asset is above your liabilities. And so <clears throat> what really happens here is that if your home value, if the appraised value of the home is greater than your loan, then the asset is greater than the liability. You are in a positive net worth or positive equity position. That's not debt. Now, here's where you can become in debt. If you have the home value drop and now you're underwater in the mortgage and you owe 700000 and the home is only worth 500000 now this is a position of true debt. So we want to just bust that myth that having a mortgage means you're in debt. Just because you have a liability on your balance sheet does not mean you have negative net worth. So the liability is just one portion of that equation. Assets minus liabilities equals net worth. Having a liability does not mean you're in debt. Having negative net worth means you're in debt. So we want to just remove and shift that focus because there's not a stigma on having a liability. There's a stigma on having debt. We don't want you to be in a debt position, but certainly having a liability does not mean that you are in debt. So this kind of bleeds into the next myth. And again, we've discussed this earlier on the podcast and we'll make sure we have links to that show. But there's another myth that being debt-free means you're financially free. And really what happens here is that financial freedom comes when you have income or cash flow that's coming from assets, that's not coming from your physical work and hours of labor. So Robert Kiyosaki would talk about this moving from the left to the right side of the cash flow quadrant, where your income is not just from your job. It's now instead from assets. Maybe that's your business or it's real estate or other assets that you own. And that's self-sustaining. It's not just the paycheck that you're receiving from those things. So the way that you get there is by purchasing assets that produce cash flow. So the end point really, if we back the whole idea up that being debt-free means you're financially free, well, if you got to a position where you had no liabilities and no loans of any kind, you still would have a cost of living. You still would have groceries and uh, an electricity bill. Those are not debt, but it's still a cost of living. And you still would need to find income to produce for that. So it's not truly financially free to be in a position where you just say, well, I have no liabilities. You certainly would have lower expenses in that case, but you're not financially free because you still have to put food on the table and that money has to come from somewhere. And if you're still working a job to produce the income to cover your daily living, expenses, you're not in a position of financial freedom. Yeah. And I find one one thing that um, I'm shocked that people don't realize is that part of their house payment includes the taxes and insurance. And, you oh, know, right. they're, they're saying, well, if I pay my house off, if that's 15 or $3,000 a month, I don't have to come up with. And I, and I said, and then I have to correct them. I said, well, actually of that 1500, you're still going to have to come up with about uh, $400 a month for taxes and insurance. You're only saving $1,100 a month. And what could we have done with that extra money to then help you have a cash flow of $1,100 a month? Um, so that is kind of the mindset. It's all in the way you think. And, and mm-hmm. the other thing I find with people that want to have their home paid off is they don't trust themselves. Um, oh, absolutely. And they don't have the ability to think differently because they've been taught a certain way. 
And so it's about this scarcity versus abundance mindset. I can't trust myself to put this difference away. And the best place to store my money is in my house for later. And we always then point out to them, you get a zero rate of return on your house um, equity because your equity goes up whether you have a loan on it or not. And the other Mm -hmm. thing is you lack total control of your money because in order to get it back, you actually have to go through an entire process of applying to get your money back. Both the equity that you are paying off in principle every month and the uh, accelerated equity with any additional payments that you might make every month. And frankly, that's all a 15-year mortgage is, is making additional principal payments every month. You know, I really like that you mentioned those two things because it's part of where we're going next in this next myth that there's another myth that's perpetuated again in our culture and society. And it says that your home is your best investment. And I don't really know where this idea came from. So Bruce, I know you're kind of the history buff on the show here. And if you have some history and background on that, I'd love to hear. But I do know that we think of, well, real estate is a good investment. And so therefore my home must be a good investment. And really what ends up happening if you think about it in terms of assets and where your money is sitting, what ends up happening is certainly it's true that a lot of Americans do have a majority of their cash stored inside the four walls of their home. And that's how we say my money is in the house. So as opposed to I have my money in a 401k or I have my money in savings or I have my money in cash value of life insurance or I have my money in cash flowing assets, if you really did an assessment of the lay of your financial land, for many Americans, and maybe this is not you, but for many Americans, most of their asset that they own is in the four walls of their house. And so then Bruce, as you were just talking about, what is the rate of return on that money? Are we actually getting anything in and what's interesting is that if you and your neighbor both had identical houses, identically built, identical appraisals, and you fully pay off your house, but your neighbor has a mortgage, if Walmart puts a shopping mall in the back, you know, in the back <laughs> um, backyard and in the neighborhood and the property value increases as a result of that, you're not going to have a difference or a disparity in equity appreciation or in appreciation of the value of the home based on how much you've paid off, they're going to equivalently rise in value. And so that's just an easy way to think about how much I've paid off is not what's contributing to the appreciation value of my home. Yes. If you think about it, when you, when you go with this idea that I am going to build up large sums of cash within my home, because this is the this is the idea of a lot of people, and then I'm going to downsize when I retire. I'm building up this large sums of cash in my home. It's the same as if you were going to build up large ca- sums of cash outside your home. the The problem with that mentality is the cash that's within your walls, as we said, gets a zero rate of return. The only way you're growing that is by appreciation. So you have to be very, very um, confident 
that Walmart is actually going to appreciate your home and not right. and not actually make it go flat or absolutely or depreciate, which it could in times. And so you don't you don't control that uh, as much as you might if you had the money outside the walls of the house. I think the reason you ask about the history of this, uh, I think we hit on that at the very beginning. But the other thing is is uh, the security that people feel, and also probably the fact of the matter is we we have been sold by the construction industry and the home decor industry that owning a home is the American dream. Oh, I, I do agree yeah. with that. Yeah. And I think the millennials now are starting to, to change their attitude about that. Now, now some would argue, someone would argue that they're changing it because they have to, because they're, they're, they're strapped with student loan debt and they can't afford a home. But I think they realize that they're, they want to be a, a mobile society. So they want to be able to easily move from one place to another. And when you have to sell your house because you're moving, that's the worst time to sell your house because now you're at the mercy of getting it sold. So you take the, you take whatever price you can you can take. So they're and then you have to pay closing costs on top yeah, of it. And- so they're 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 understanding all these dynamics here. And the math, I I went to a wealth and wisdom seminar and used to have this calculator. I don't I don't have the calculator anymore, but the math of when you pay for your, um, when you pay the taxes, the insurance, all the upkeep in the house, the, the, the purchasing power, loss of the dollar along the way, uh, when you have your house paid off, um, and when you're doing all those extra costs over a 30-year period, it really comes out to be at about flat. You're not really making any money. You're just staying flat the entire time because of all those extra costs. And because people think, oh, I appreciate it in value. Look, I made $150,000 on my home along the way. But what they forget is they paid, you know, $60,000 in taxes. They paid $20,000 in insurance. They, they replaced the wa- hot water heater. They, mm-hmm. they, they remodeled the renovation, they re- remodeled uh-huh. the kitchen for $50,000. They, they put new flooring in for $10,000. They don't figure all that in to the equation. When you figure all that in the equation, it really Mm -hmm. is just flat along the way. And actually, Bruce, what's interesting is I did a calculation on this in advance because I wanted to talk about this. And when we think about the home appreciating in value, you you would need to know what that end value is going to be and over what time frame. And so I just did a quick calculation here. If you had a $700,000 house, that you bought today and you compared what would happen if I put all of my money into the walls of the house and counted on appreciation versus what would happen if I put that money instead somewhere where it would earn 10% rate of return. And you know what would happen is that you would need to have your house over the span of 30 years appreciate to over $13 million in order to have achieved a 10% rate of return. Mm -hmm. And so when people say, well, it's a great place to store my money, they're not thinking about the average home, especially once you account for all the repairs and, and uh, taxes, costs that you've right. put in, yeah, taxes and insurance, you are in a position where you're not appreciating much at all, maybe 1%. That's not a good place to store your cash. If you're really looking at 
How do I grow my wealth? How do I make it into more money? And especially, how do I create cash flow out of this? That's absolutely not going to cash flow for you. So when we really think about a home, it is not an investment. Your home that you live in is not an investment. If you're investing in rental property and you're getting cash flow or appreciation, you're selling that, you're getting, you're earning equity, you're getting tax advantages there, that is an investment. But if you're living, that's a living expense. And when you think about your personal economy, one clear distinction I like to make is, is this money being used for a current lifestyle expense or is it being used for the future? And when you look at your house that you live in, that's a part of your lifestyle, that's a current lifestyle expense. That is not putting money into the future. And so that's just an easy way for me to differentiate. Is this actually a place that I'm storing cash for the future that I'm going to be able to use somehow? A house is not the place to do mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And, you know, once again, we're, we talk about math versus an emotional. Um, my wife and I have rented homes for a short period of time, but we still like the fact that we own a home for the the flexibility of what we can do with the home. Now that's not that's an emotional part on our on our uh, part. However, uh, because of the cost of living in Japan, for in- for instance, they have like one hundred year mortgages. If I could get a one hundred year mortgage <laughs> on my house, I would. I'd say sign me yeah, up. Yeah, I would because I all I'm doing is using it as a place for myself and a living expense. And I would like to then lessen that cash flow as much as possible so I can use my cash flow to build other businesses or other cash flowing assets. Absolutely. And I think you just hit the nail on the head there that ultimately the best position we see to be in is to pay as little as possible towards your mortgage, because that's money that's going into the control of the banks and the mortgage industry that's going out of your personal financial hands. So it's out of your control. And if you are storing it in the walls of the house, you don't have control over the value of your house and what the market's going to do. And so even if you had put equity in, that has the potential to be gobbled up by the market if the market dips. So if we're looking at rate of return, I want to just point us back real quick to the cash flow index that we talked about on another previous podcast, which again, we'll link in the show notes. So Bruce, can you share with us what is the cash flow index? Yeah, the cash flow index, the simple way to just understand the concept is how much you're paying per $1,000 of the particular liability. So the more cash flow per that $1,000, that you have to go towards that liability, that means it's eating up your cash flow uh, more quickly than if you're paying less per $1,000. So whenever you're looking at your liabilities, you have to actually, um, if you want to try to increase cash flow to free up cash flow for other opportunities, it's always better to look at the ones that are in the danger zone and once again, that simply means you're paying a higher amount per 1000 than if you're in the freedom zone. And mortgages always fall well into the freedom zone because, Absolutely. because it's about the volume of what you're doing, um, paying back the mortgage. And I did grab the calculation of that. So you would take the balance of the loan, divide that by the monthly payment, and that's how you arrive at the cash flow index number. 
So even if I did a calculation on this, even if you had a $700,000 mortgage and you had a 15-year mortgage that was at today's rate of 3.67%, that's just an average rate for today, that cash flow index for a 15-year mortgage is 138. So that's already in a good range. That's in the freedom zone. That means don't pay off this loan. You don't want to pay it off any more quickly than you need to. Now, I also calculated a 30-year mortgage at an average 30-year rate right now, which is about 4.34%, and that's even higher. Um, Your monthly payment there would be about 3,400 a month, and that cash flow index is about 201. What that just is pointing to is they're saying these loans are the loans that are efficient loans to keep on your balance sheet, not to put all your time and energy to paying off. Usually, you're going to see things like credit cards or maybe consumer debt that is going to be in a higher cash flow index, or sorry, in a lower cash flow index scoring system that are going to free up more cash flow per the amount that you pay off in that loan. And it's going to be more efficient to free up cash flow to pay off other debts. Yeah, If listeners simply want to Google Mark Zuckerberg, the uh, founder of Facebook, they will see that he actually um, took out a loan on his house in California. And it, surprisingly for, you know, I mean, he's, he's worth several billions to tens of billions of dollars. And he has a pretty modest home. I believe it was in the $6 million range. And, I think you're yeah, right. And Cause we've looked at this article. Yeah. Before. And he actually took out a, he took out a loan and, you know, I think that would surprise a lot of people. It's like, well, you're, you're, you're worth tens of billions of dollars and you took out a loan for a $6 million home. And that's because Mark Zuckerberg understands that cash flow is important in a business. So don't take our word for it, how people, successful, wealthy people think. Actually, Google it and you'll figure it out, uh, find that Mark actually took out a loan for his uh, home. So as we look at this, so why would we want to have a loan? Why would we want to defeat these myths? Why would we really want to recognize that Having a mortgage doesn't mean you're in debt. Being debt-free doesn't mean you're financially free. And your home is probably not your best investment. So now that we've looked at that, let's figure out what can we do to make the best decisions. And I want to bring a couple of comparisons to the front, the forefront here. So I mentioned um, just based on bankrate.com, the average, the national average, um, 30-year fixed rate right now is about 4.34%. 15-year fixed loan is about 367 So if we look at the difference between paying cash versus having a 30-year mortgage, let's just think about opportunity cost for a second. And again, this is another blog and podcast that we've done before, and we'll link back to this. But say you could earn a certain interest rate, and you would pay that same interest rate on a loan. What that means is that if I could earn 5% interest rate if I put my money somewhere that I'm storing it, or I paid 5% on a loan. What happens is over time, the cost of each decision is equal. So we're not going to go deeply into the math on that, but if the cost of paying cash and the cost of financing is equal, given the same interest rate, then the best decision is to keep my cash, give up as little as possible, and put it to the greatest work. So what I want to do then is I want to focus on having the longest mortgage because with a 30-year mortgage, which is the longest that we generally get here in the US, 
you're going to have the smallest payment and you have the most cash to be able to put aside to work with. Think about it this way. If you look at the difference between now comparing a 15-year versus a 30-year, a lot of people who come into the 15-year mortgage have this mindset that first what I'm going to do is pay off my loan. And then once I'm finished with that 15-year mortgage in 15 years, now I will start my savings era of my life. And they've kind of chunked their timeframes down into buckets. Here's my loan payoff lifetime of 15 years. And now here's my, my cash accumulation lifetime of 15 years. Whereas the people with a 30-year mortgage, what they're looking at is, <clears throat> well, I'm going to have a lower monthly payment with a longer loan. So even though the interest rate is higher on a longer loan, you're still going to have a lower monthly payment. So what happens here, if I just take a $700,000 loan at those two average interest rates, if we look at a 30-year mortgage, that's in the ballpark of 34 80 per month. That's principal and interest only. We're not talking about taxes and insurance. 34.80. If we did a 15-year loan at 3.67%, that's 5,062 per month. So we have a difference in the amount of cash flow that we're paying for that loan. So here's what's interesting. If the interest rates were equal on the 15 and the 30-year mortgage, and if you could save your money outside of that mortgage somewhere with any interest rate in the world that you choose, either chunking by doing the 15-year payoff and then the 15-year savings plan, or if you use the whole 30 years to both pay off your mortgage and use the extra to set aside in savings, you're going to end up with the equal amount of money in your savings account or your investment tank at the end of that 30 years. So when we look at those equivalent timeframes, then the question that I would want to ask myself is, instead of putting my money in the walls of the house and focusing there as quickly as possible and getting that handled quickly, how can I have as much control of my money as possible to put to a greater rate of return. Maybe I can find a place that I can earn 10% rate of return. I want my money in my control so that I can put it to work as opposed to just getting out of debt or getting out of a loan. Yeah, Rachel, that was a great explanation. But I want the listeners to understand the concept is very simple when you actually listen to mortgage companies. Now, mortgage I'm not trying to beat up mortgage companies because they serve a role in our society. But next time you're in the car or you're watching television and a commercial comes on for a mortgage, um, they only really sell rate or term. That's the only mm-hmm. thing they do. In a, in a bad economy, like we had after the recession and everybody was having difficult time paying their higher mortgage rate, what they, and, and in a bad economy, interest rates actually that's what the Federal Reserve does to try to stimulate the economy. Now, we could argue whether that works or not, but they, they lower interest rates. So when they lower interest rates, they then say, oh, you need to, let's do a 30-year um, mortgage and get you into a better payment. Then in a good economy, as interest rates go up and you start getting equity in your house because uh, the homes are uh, appreciating faster, 
Then the commercials uh, turn to, hey, we can get you in a 15-year interest rate and you can pay off that house more quickly. Then when the economy goes through the uh, bus cycle again, the process starts over and over and over. So all they really talk about is term and rates. And then this is the concept I want people to understand. You've already mentioned it. You found out that as of this show uh, time in in uh, the spring of 2019, that the average 30-year rate was 4.34%, and the average 15 rate is 3.67%. During these commercials, they will say, hey, I, let's get you into a 15-year rate so we can save you all this interest. Now, mortgage companies and banks are in the business of making money, and how do they do that? By charging an interest. Why are they doing us a favor by incenting us to do a 15-year mortgage by lowering the interest rate to 3.67%, which means they are going to make less money over that 15-year period than they were would over the 30-year period? Well, if you understand the time value of money and the eroding power of the cost of living, the CPI, then you, they understand that money today is worth more in our pocket than it will be worth in 30 years. So, And it's also worth more to them today correct. than it is to them in 30 years. And they know that because they want as much volume of cash and cash flow today as That's possible. That's exactly right. So I always say, this is another reason why you want to become your own bank. You want to capture as much of that money today in, in the form of lost opportunity costs than you would would in 30 years because that is not going to be worth as much. And I know you did a calculation on this that we can share also later on in the in the podcast. Yeah, and actually I'm really glad you brought that up because I think watching interest rates will tell you more about what is in the bank's favor than you realize because they are using it to incentivize us. Of course we want to pay less interest. That just sounds like a reasonable, rational, smart thing to do, right? So we're going to follow that lower interest rate, but we need to look at the bigger picture and say, how much cash flow is going out of my control into the bank's control every month, which means now I have less to put aside in savings, less to put to work, less to build time and money freedom with, which means I'm just delaying my financial objectives. So this calculation here that I did, um, if you look at a $3,000 monthly payment today, say you locked in a 30-year mortgage. <clears throat> the value of locking in that fixed rate mortgage is that your payment is not going to increase over those 30 years. You're going to have that same fixed payment. Now, because of inflation, those dollars to you and the bank and everyone around you is going to feel like less and less and less every year. Now, if we go on the basis of a 3% inflation rate, which again, we could argue is much higher in actuality than that, but if we look at just a simple 3% inflation per year, we realize that that's a per year rate. That 3,000 is going to feel smaller and smaller and smaller through the course of the 30 years. By the end of the 30 years, it's going to feel and have the purchasing power of $1,235.96. What that simply means is points exactly back to Bruce, exactly what you were saying, that dollars today are worth more than they are in the future. The same dollar bill. I mean, you think about $20 a hundred years ago was a lot of money. $20 today is 
like pennies. Rachel, as our readers know, I'm a little bit older than you, Um, both the readers of the blog and the listeners. And I started working in 1975 and I was making a dollar an hour. And but wow, but the fact of the matter is, when I went to the Coke machine and I wanted to get a Coke, it was it was like twenty five cents. Now you go to Coke machine, it's going to be two dollars. They used to be a mm-hmm. there used to be McDonald's was just coming into its own, and they used to run they used to run uh, ads on television that you could get a ninety nine cent combo meal, which and quarter pounders weren't around yet. That we we weren't fat as a society yet, so. So it was their it was their hamburger, fry, and a drink for ninety nine cents. Well, well now wow. a hamburger, fry, and a drink at McDonald's is six or seven dollars. Oh, sure, I was going to say seven something. I don't right. eat there very and often. I could, but- and I and and I'm old enough or young enough. Well, I was young then, but now I'm old enough. You're yeah, still younger. I, I can remember <laughs> when gasoline was nineteen cents a gallon. And so all of those things show the eroding power or the eroding, uh, not power, but the erosion erosion of the dollar. And so that's what mm-hmm. banks also know. So they want to get that money more in their control as fast as they can get it in control. And once again, I'm not, I am not saying they shouldn't do that. That's part of their business. That's how they make money for their shareholders. I just think that people need to know about this so that they can determine that they want to get that same type of advantage in their life. Absolutely. And I think you could not have possibly said that better. I think the question just really comes down to what is in my best interest and what decision is going to put me in the most, the greatest position of control. And we can either just be a customer of the bank or we can choose to be the bank. So as we kind of wrap and bring this down to a close here, if we look at just wanting to pay the lowest interest rate. That then, as Bruce, you mentioned a little bit ago, shows what the mortgage company is incentivizing you to do so that it directs as much cash flow as possible to them. So that's not necessarily the best decision for us because it's going to have greater volume of dollars flowing out of your personal economy every month. If we look at just wanting to pay the lowest volume of interest overall, over your whole lifespan. And I know that this is another really powerful idea and concept when you look at a 30-year mortgage, even with that higher interest rate and you're paying it over a greater length of time, yes, the volume of interest is higher than on a 15-year mortgage with a lower interest rate. I'm not going to argue that. The facts are the facts. However, keep in mind that that interest can be tax deductible. It's not always. It depends. If you have sufficient tax deductions to itemize, which is more than 24000 a standard deduction for a couple, and if the mortgage total is under 750000 for new loans since 2017. So there are some tax requirements around that. But if you're able to then have that interest be tax deductible, that's a greater tax deduction because of the greater volume of interest. So we need to think about the offsetting or the counterbalance factor that's actually in your favor to pay more interest over the long run. And then again, we want to back that back down to on a weekly, monthly, annual basis, what is the best thing for my cash flow, even though it might be a greater volume of total interest over the span of your whole lifetime. And then the next piece would be if I just say, well, what's the 
what does having the quickest payoff date do for me? Well, what that does is it shifts my focus to the wrong thing. And again, I'm just trying to work as hard as possible. I'm putting all my time and energy into reducing a liability as opposed to building true wealth. So what do we want to do with this information? Again, I want to come back to what Bruce said at the very beginning. There's a difference between math and emotion. We want to have the math so that we can make the most logical decision possible that really makes the most financial sense. However, there might be times that you would do a shorter mortgage if that was the only way for you to maximize your peace of mind. And we're not suggesting that you go counter to what your intuition and your peace of mind is demanding and requiring of you. But with this information, the most logical financial decision would then to be ha- would be then to have the longest mortgage possible because then you're going to have the smallest monthly payment. You're going to keep in control more of those dollars to put to work somewhere else. And then you're also in the safest place, safest position of having your cash where you can control it and access it along the way. And here's the thing. If you decided that you did want to pay off your mortgage as quickly as possible, here's a strategy that you can use that puts you in the maximum control. You could take the longest loan possible, have that smallest payment that's going out of your personal economy to pay off that mortgage each month, and then save the extra dollars on the side. Put that somewhere that you control. And here's the thing. When you have enough to completely pay off the mortgage, you can choose to do that. But I would caution you and I would ask you to consider what is the greatest stewardship of that money. Say you had a $200,000 balance left on the mortgage after paying for several years and you have $200,000 sitting in cash. What is the best use of those dollars? If I can get a 2% rate of return by freeing up the cash flow payment by paying off the mortgage, and that's the best stewardship for me in my personal way of thinking right now, then make that decision. If you know that you have the ability to achieve a 20% rate of return by investing in your business or buying another business or investing in real estate, and you're considering a 2% rate of return by paying off the mortgage or a 20% rate of return over here by putting my money to work for me, just take that into consideration. Find out what is the highest and best stewardship for you to do with that cash. And if it is paying off the mortgage early, then absolutely you have the power and ability to do that. You usually would actually be able to pay off the mortgage more quickly than 15 years if you had the 30-year mortgage, set the extra to the side, grew that at a higher rate of return, you probably could pay it off in 13, 14 Mm -hmm. years. Yeah, we call that building equity outside of your home. And most of the time, um, if you do it in a wise way, you can actually build that equity more quickly and thus get to your actual goal faster if you build it outside the home. So, Absolutely. And you have more control. And you have more control. So- what can you do with this information? Maybe you're not in a position to do anything right now. Maybe you are looking at buying another property. You can absolutely use this to finance with the longest loan possible for any new properties that you're about to purchase. If you currently have a mortgage, possibly, could it make sense for you to refinance that mortgage? Now, there's going to be considerations. You're going to have closing costs. You may be looking at how much equity is in the home. Does it make sense to take out some equity? Does it make sense to just restructure the payments only to free up the monthly cash flow? Those are questions and considerations that you really want to handle with a professional, not just make decisions on your own. And I would really encourage you to 
look for the right cash flow strategies by booking a call with us to talk with our advisor team. And that will help you to find and fix those money leaks, figure out the best strategy for you to increase your cash flow and your control so you can start keeping more of your money, putting it to work, and using that to build time and money freedom. Bruce, is there anything you want to share as we close? Well, I think this is an emotional topic. It's been an emotional topic for 70 years or so. And um, uh, I don't think we want to say what is right or what is wrong, but we do want want you to understand there are certain facts. And those facts um, are, are logical, but your emotions are also very important. I think if you um, just sit down with yourself, your family, and decide what you want, but you understand the consequences, that's the best you can do in your life. Absolutely. And I think that's a huge amount of wisdom for being able to take those small steps forward, not overhaul your entire financial life all at once and throw everything in uproar, but really be in a position of control and confidence to move forward to the future. There is one little thing I could close with is there is a there is kind of a hybrid model that I tell people is if they have a 15-year loan is you could actually uh, change that into a 30-year loan, but pay it on a 15-year loan pace. Now, the, the immediate thing that people say is, yes, but my interest rate's going to go up. But that is true, but your, your payment's going to go down. And then if you ever do get in a position where you cannot make that additional uh, 15-year pace payment, at least you have the control to go back down to the 30-year and and you actually will have a more peace of mind to do, doing that. That's kind of a hybrid between the two. Absolutely. And again, options for right. you, depending on what you're looking for, what you want to achieve and what your objectives are, which is, again... there's not a one size fits all. There's not a one right answer for everyone. Um, But use this to help you make decisions that are best for you. So thank you for being with us on this show today. Remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Do you have an established business and make great income, but feel like you can never get ahead or just plain have financial confusion? Get the business owner's three-step roadmap to achieve time and financial freedom without working harder or sacrificing your lifestyle. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash roadmap to get your roadmap and free training. And when you register, you'll also get access to our ultimate money finder cheat sheet that you can use to recover lost cash flow and save on taxes. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, 
and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.